You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. It's Epiphany today, 12th day of Christmas. That's the idea that we're uh, working with. And so we're still in the season. But it's, it's, it's hard to stay in the season, I think. And I've lamented about my dilemma to you before, but let me do it once more, if you, if you will uh, indulge me. I, I really love Christmas time a lot, and I like to get it started as soon as possible. Like, I'm checking B101 compulsively to see when they start the Christmas music. And I decorate as soon as I can, too. But I also lament the fact that we kind of eat the dessert before the main course is served, if you will. We lose a sense of anticipation, a sense of waiting, a sense of patience. Because the holiday is, uh, to overstate it, so gluttonous so early. It's so self-indulgent. We start participating in Christmas as if it were here much earlier than, than it is. And then by the time we get to like, you know, even as I anticipate the Christmas music starting, right on December 26th, they just turn it off and it's back to uh, Kelly Clarkson or whatever's on, right? It, it, it kind of, there's something, like you didn't even savor the moment because you couldn't savor it because you drank it too fast. Does that make sense? There wasn't, there's nothing, you're kind of sick of it already. You know, you can't even have another Christmas cookie because you ate so many over the season. There's no opportunity to wait. Well, let's say there's little opportunity to wait, to uh, fast, to take our time, to mourn, to grieve, to, to lose, to suffer loss, to feel sorrow at the hopelessness of the world without the baby savior. That's the kind of thing we're going for in Advent, but it's really hard to pull off in the United States because the United States is really extra about the holidays. And there's something to be said about that because I look for the joy people are grasping for, and I want, I want to be a part of that, you know? They want joy. You know, maybe the uh, preceding 11 months have been their waiting and fasting and their, and their sorrow, and now they finally got close to the holiday. We can finally hang up the lights again. But, you know, in some liturgical churches, they forbid even the utterance of Alleluia during Advent. You, you, you withhold until, the, until Jesus is born. And I love that drama, that lets us not only wait in anticipation, but celebrate in culmination. The trouble is, the way that we often do Christmas, we miss the opportunity to grieve during Advent, but we also miss the opportunity to celebrate during Christmas. It's like, epif- it's, and it's like talking about Christmas on January 6th is like enough already. We're through it. We don't want to keep it going. Take down your lights. It's over. You know, we've done, it. we've done it so extensively. We feasted so extravagantly. Now we're starting our diets. You know, it's, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's January 1st, right? That's, that's the kind of thing that if you're following the cultural liturgy, that's, that's what you're moved to do. Um, but if we learn to wait, we could consciously celebrate Epiphany better, in my opinion. If we learn to wait and if we withheld We could feel the manifestation of Jesus more clearly in its dramatic form, more fully, more abundantly. I like those loud, dramatic images, especially when when their um, backdrop has been silence, remorse, sorrow. You know, if you fasted, 
the Christmas cookie would taste so much sweeter, right? You'd be waiting for something new to come. So we might feel, more importantly, the effect of the incarnation, the manifestation that Jesus has on us, the effect of this. We need the, we need the drama to get there. That's why it might be helpful for you sometimes to uh, worship in like a cavernous cathedral to see what kind of a dramatic effect this can have on you. It's hard, it's hard to feel that. It's hard to feel the effect of something in a world that's so overstimulated, wouldn't you say? We're so overly stimulated that it's hard to be affected, it's hard to change, it's hard to be moved. It's even hard to notice how you are changing and how you are moving because the way God moves in us can be very subtle, can be quiet, can be gentle. And in our uh, lurid, obvious, loud, rough world, it's hard to feel that subtlety, that sensitivity, that quietness, the gentleness of the world. You can't taste the sweetness of an English pea if you've just had a cupcake, right? It, 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 um, it kind of mutes your taste. You know, deprive your children of candy so they think carrots are sweet. Right, that's the, that's the kind of thing, where, that's the point of the fast, if you will. You can't notice a good wine if you drank a bottle beforehand. Some of you are looking, like begging to differ, by the way, as you look at me, you like, no, I can, rest assured. <laughs> I have. <laughs> it's hard to hear a whisper after you've been to a loud concert and your ears are ringing. It's hard to notice intimacy in a relationship if you've simply indulged whenever you've had the urge or the opportunity. You know, how do you thirst when you never stop drinking? How do you hunger when you're always fed? How can you notice your own limitations if you've never bothered to, uh, to open yourself up to them? Do you even notice the limitedness of the planet in the way that we consume? Do we even have a conception of what is happening? I think we're trying to specialize in that sort of sensitivity so that we can notice the effects of God in the world, so that we can see the, uh, the ripples and the wrinkles and the dimples in our time and space as God affects the world and affects us. We're noticing, where is God? We're noticing holy things and holy people. It takes silence, it takes peace, it takes centeredness. Can we pay attention? Can we keep paying attention? You know, may the, uh, may the backdrop of your life be silence so that you can notice when the sound punctuates it. May you have seasons of darkness that you can see the light piercing through. This is what I told my, uh, my nearly six-year-old today. I told her the backdrop of your life is silence, which was really saying you need to be quiet. <laughs> you need to, we need peace, you know. There's a, occasionally... You know, I like quiet mornings, but children don't like them for some reason. And so it's a, it's, a very, it's a very loud time in the morning. And sometimes there's like this moment where somehow both of their mouths are full of food and then it's quiet and I'm like, oh, there's God. <laughs> there's the, my thin place in the morning, you know, when they're both like chipmunks with like, some, something in their mouth. 
yeah, may silence be the backdrop of your life. And may you even see silence as the uh, backdrop. Take, it, take advantage of times to do that. My, uh, my car radio broke recently. And so I couldn't listen to the things that I normally listen to in the car. And so I'm usually also making phone calls in the car. But there, were, there was a few more uh, forced moments of silence and got me thinking, well, maybe I should do this more. Maybe I, should, maybe I don't need to uh, listen to um, sports talk forever, you know. Maybe I can turn them off. Been, I mean, they have 24-hour coverage. It's not, and it's generally the same thing. So I'm, lear I'm learning, too, that the backdrop of my life is silence. You know, may, may we also be so foreign in this world that when home is a little bit closer, we can taste it. Becoming in touch with God to know where home is and in kind of deepening our own out-of-placeness in the world. You know, I want to be affected by God in a dramatic way. I want Christmas to touch me. I want that moment on Christmas Eve when I'm finally singing to the baby, sleep in heavenly peace, to be the first time that I've sang that first time that I'm singing the lullaby to the baby, not the millionth time I've sang it that month, right? There's something that's a little too cloying about how we do it. Anticipation, wait, wait to say alleluia. Hold on, as we were singing earlier. So I want to be changed and I want to be moved when I encounter God. I want to grow and adapt. I want my patterns to be reformed. I want to be affected by God and I want evidence of that effect. I want my life to change. You know, maybe we should blacken out Advent and hide away all the candles next year until we finally light them on Christmas Eve. Then we might have a really powerful epiphany, not unlike the, uh, not unlike the first one. May we, may, maybe, maybe we'll need a silent Advent so the Christmas bells are that much louder and we hear the, the announcement of the birth of Jesus just like, ha just like it happened on that first epiphany. Epiphany, which means manifestation, is the uh, celebration of the revelation and the manifestation of Jesus to the, to the entire world, largely represented by when the Magi, these mysterious people from the East, come to visit Egypt, come to visit Jesus, rather. We, uh, we read Matthew, we just read Matthew's account, let's read it again, um, these, these 12 verses here. Just someone out loud read them, it's two slides.
On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thanks, Debbie. These mysterious people, the Magi, probably a priestly class of astrologists coming from the east, somewhere in the Parthian Empire there, east of Jerusalem, Babylon, Persia, something like that. They had a special and mysterious presence about them. Maybe they had some sorcerer power. But for one reason or another, Rome was generally friendly to Persian astrologists and Herod, the puppet king over the region, was friendly with uh, so-called pagan cities. And so their arrival wasn't even that unusual. And they probably arrived with a, with a large um, kind of caravan with a big motorcade. You know, we, we, sometimes we depict them as three, but they brought three gifts. There could have been a lot of people that came to, to see this miraculous baby being born. And Matthew is mainly writing this story, as I've said before, to include new people into the gospel. Gentiles specifically, he's writing to um, a mainly Jewish audience and he's helping them include foreigners, people that weren't Jews, Gentiles, other kinds of people of different ethnicities. He's challenging their, their prejudice against Gentiles in this story. So you see it's very hard to be inclusive of somebody different than you and, 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 and Matthew is uncovering that as he, as he tells the story of these unusual people who come and visit Jesus. But he's not only challenging their prejudice against Gentiles, he's challenging their prejudice for, um, for kind of stately political power. He's challenging their prejudice against Herod's throne or what it came to symbolize. Matthew is challenging the reigning authority of the people he's writing to. And he's rightly suggesting, not only do you include a different person, you submit to a different king. That, that they should change their allegiance. They should question their prejudice. They should question their, their, their loyalty, who they are now, because they're no longer looking for the same kind of uh, political ruler that Herod is. This encounter with Jesus changes how they see the world altogether. It changes who they're loyal to. Matthew doesn't condone astrology particularly, but he extends the, inclus the inclusion, the inclusiveness of Jesus to people of different ethnicities and also different faiths in a time when ethnicity and faith were culturally connected. We don't live in such a time because we've abstracted our faith beyond our bodies, and so there's something, there's a separation there. But in a sense, one's culture includes includes faith too. And so faith has a sort of geographical component as well. But something is happening. All people all over the world can come and kneel before the king. And why can they? Because their encounter with Jesus changes them, informs them into something new altogether. It changes everyone. The announcement of the birth of the king to the Jew, of the king of the Jews to Herod the supposed king of the Jews, 
disturbs Herod too. And what does the writer say? And all of Jerusalem. The entire, uh, the entire Jewish world is disturbed by this mere announcement. And once again, you see the announcement of Jesus and how it discomforts those in power, specifically Herod and Jerusalem. And it effectively changes them too. It impacts them too. They are disturbed as well. And Herod wants to know exactly where Jesus will be born so he can go and worship him. So you can tell there's a, probably a little lie happening there because his rule becomes even more tyrannical when he threatens to kill every, every boy in Bethlehem. You know, in the Bible, this motif is common when there's a threatening child who might usurp the throne, the kings get violent and start killing everyone. That's what Pharaoh did too at the time of Moses. Something is happening when, when power is disturbed. And not only is Herod threatened by the rule of Jesus, he's also threatened by the legitimacy of the kingship of Jesus because the Magi tell the current king that they found a child who was born the king of the Jews, to be born the king of the Jews, to inherit the throne by virtue of his birth, is something that, um, it's, it's a specific challenge to Herod because Herod wasn't born a king. He was actually born from a different culture altogether and he came to collect power through violence and conquest. And so Jesus thus is more legitimate in his kingship. And if you're a Jewish person, you, of course, know the story because he came through the, the royal line of David, the line of Judah. Here is this legitimate king, the, right, the rightful successor, the heir to the throne. But even though Jesus is the rightful ruler, Matthew knows that the cultural and the political shift that Jesus is making isn't popular among Jewish people because they, would val they, they may value the political stability of their current king who is offering them a lot of infrastructural support, national identity, a whole new temple with huge stones, an aqueduct system, a very elaborate architectural and construction plan, which is why the Jews don't mind getting, getting uh, taxed to the teeth, if you will. Is that the phrase? I don't know. I'm looking at you. You're from Peru, you don't know, yeah. <laughs> Through the nose. I don't know. Why do I, I, I always, why do I even try? That's why they don't mind getting taxed because so much national identity is being uh, built up for them and they, they, they value the comfort of their legal religion even under Roman occupation. And Jesus' revolution disturbs that. So before you wish the revolution on yourself, you, know, you may want to think about the discomfort it might cause you as your roads crumble, as we're doing a whole different kind of economy. Something else is happening. Jesus has a powerful effect even on the stability of the people in Judea, as it were. Herod was certainly a king that brought stability to the people. Judaism wasn't illegal in Rome, and even though it was Hellenized, as it were, influenced by the Greeks and the Romans, most Jews were fine with that. You know, like most Christians are fine with whatever cultural influence we have. That's just how it goes, you know? Only the radical ones are really resisting the Hellenist influence. And even them, we call them Pharisees. Um, the problem was that those radical people wanted a purer faith, not necessarily a more inclusive one. And so there's trouble in the water because you have people that are, that are fine assimilating to the imperial culture around them, and you have people that are strictly opposed to it. But in both cases, they hold a prejudice against the other. There's a problem happening because you aren't, you shouldn't assimilate to the culture of the past or to whatever the ruling empire is. Jesus wants you to assimilate to him. 
Jesus is the one in which to assimilate, the one to change and adapt, to become more alike. That's the idea that Matthew is working with. And, and so our encounter with Jesus changes us, just like Epiphany does, just like Christmas does. And the star moves too, like the pillar of, of fire and cloud that guided the, uh, the, the Jewish people in the Old Testament to their promised land. Again, a moving star in the sky, the Magi find Jesus. They're overjoyed. They worship him. They offer him gifts, costly gifts, Eastern gifts, ones that would be fit for royalty. And then when they, when they encounter Jesus, they go home a different way. They're changed. They leave different than when they came. Something new happens. They're changed. The pattern is disrupted. Their encounter with the king changes everything. The Magi needed a supernatural occurrence, an angel in a dream to tell them to go home another way, maybe because they were oblivious to the trouble they were causing even by their own announcement for Jesus, of Jesus. And Matthew is being gracious with his audience because if you're not changed, that's okay. If it doesn't come so naturally to change, that's okay. You might need a little extra push because it is hard to see the world differently. It's hard to act differently. It's hard to change your pattern. It's hard to grow. The world is loud. It's not subtle. It's lurid. It's, it's, it change, it's hard to change. It's hard to grow. It's hard to try something different. It's hard to do things differently. And you might need something supernatural to happen in your life. Or maybe what was special about the dream is that it happened when they were at rest, when they were quiet, when they were at peace, when they were still. It happened when the world was quieted down, when their own anxiety didn't trouble them. They could see clearly. The silence helps, the rest helps, the space helps, the distance, the lack of indulgence, the, the, the lack of noise, the lack of loudness. It's hard to find that. It's hard to notice. Sometimes our anxiety is so loud, this, the trouble in our life is so loud, you can't even see how you're changing. Day after day, week after week, you might go to your therapist and barely notice how you're moving and how you're growing. And it's only when you look back and you create some space that you actually see your growth. And then you're troubled again when you hit the same pattern again, that same tape, that same idea, that same problem keeps coming up. And you don't know, am I even changing? Is any of this worth it? I can't even tell, right? The, the negativity, that negative noise inside of you makes it hard to see how you're growing. And you might even start to doubt your faith too. Is this really mine? Does this make any sense? Can I go with this? All of this seems really weird. I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. And sometimes I have that struggle, but I know that Jesus has shaped me and changed me in numerous ways throughout my life, and my faith is not just a collection of, 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 of abstractions. It's not a series of beliefs that I hold. It's much more than doctrine. It's much more than study. It's even much more than my disciplines of worship and prayer. Jesus has had an, had an effect on who I am and has shifted me and changed me the way that I think, feel, act, how I describe myself, that's the securest place my faith can be in. Because, you know, a lot of people talk to me about losing faith. But if I lose mine, I'd wonder who I was, how I came to be. Jesus has, has shaped my life and, and my being so much, has left a mark on me, has, has put a claim upon me, and has changed me so much that I can't let it go without being disingenuous. I'm connected. I'm bonded to God because of the way that God has affected me. And some of you are the same way. You know, your faith isn't true because it's abstractly true. It's true because of the, the truth you found in it. 
the meaningful, personal truth. That's the beauty of the incarnation, of the manifestation. God came among us to be known. Something personal, something connected. You know, you can't, I can't deny my faith because I can't deny myself. And it takes time to get to that, mo that place. And many of you are in, the, are in the same zone. The convictions you have, sometimes even the philosophies you use to deconstruct your faith come from Jesus. What will you do about that when the biggest questions you ask about how the world is working, how Christianity is working, come from Jesus? That your, 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 your convictions from God have you ask questions about how, what Christianity is like right now, who, who Christians are in the world. Look for the claim Jesus has made on you and look at how it's changed you. And then keep looking for other ways to change, to change the way you go back home, so to speak. Change the scenery, change your attitude, change your patterns, change your mind, change the way you see things, the way you do things, the way you know things. Jesus is undoing all of that. And it's hard to do it because it's so easy to get stuck in our ruts. But change your self-condemnation too. When you don't think you've changed fast enough or soon enough or good enough, change that. Take it easy. My idea for the day, get quiet, find some rest, create some space. You know, maybe the change will come to you in a dream. Maybe you'll notice where God is in a new way. Maybe, maybe you can listen carefully. Listen carefully to the, to the people God has put in your life. Listen to your trusted friends or make some new ones. You don't need to act the same way you did yesterday. You don't need to think of yourself in the same way that you did yesterday. You can try something different. You can go home a different way. You can be affected by Jesus. Everything can be different. You can change and you can grow into your uh, fuller self, into your true self. There's hope for that. And I hope that your encounter with Jesus, even tonight on this epiphany, changes you a little bit. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.